This week I read about the power of yet. There's this high school in Chicago where students had to pass a certain number of courses in order to graduate. And if they did not pass the course, they received the grade, not yet. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that hopeful? Because, you know, if you get an F, you're thinking, you know, failure, I'm nothing, I'm a nobody. But if you get the grade, not yet, you know, there's hope. You're just, you're on a learning curve. There's a path for the future. The power of yet. Psychologist Carol Dweck talks about the power of yet in a fascinating book, which one of you recommended to me, um, called Mindset. Mindset. Carol Dweck is a psychology professor at Stanford University, and she has studied motivation and human behavior for decades, and her research has focused on why some thrive and others do not. And she's explored the different assumptions that people have about success and thriving. Uh, Is it a matter of intelligence? Is it raw talent? Is it a nature-nurture type of thing? Does it have anything to do with one's family of origin, the opportunities or lack thereof? Maybe it's a personality issue, extroversion versus introversion. What is it that brings success to some and not to others? And her research reveals two mindsets, two mindsets, a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. The fixed mindset says that there are qualities that you have that were doled out to you at birth, and those qualities are carved in stone. So you possess a certain amount of intelligence, a certain personality, a certain capacity of moral character, a certain measure of talent. They're fixed. They're carved in stone. And if you happen to have won the lucky lottery in these areas, well, good for you. You're among the fortunate few. The world is yours. If not, too bad, so sad. The growth mindset says that your basic qualities are assets that can be developed and cultivated and improved upon. The growth mindset says that change is possible. The growth mindset says that over time, with discipline and encouragement and a community of support and focused direction, change can happen. People can grow. Yes, of course, people differ regarding their initial talents and aptitudes and interests and temperaments, but everyone can develop. People may differ and people can develop depending on their mindset their mindset. And the different outcomes of these two mindsets are staggering. So for instance, when it comes to education and academics, those with a fixed mindset tend to focus on getting the A. I got to get the A. I, I, I need to be affirmed by the A. My identity is in the A. And often an A is not enough. They need an A plus. Yeah. Those with a growth mindset focus on learning, discovering, 
uncovering the principles and lessons behind the information and facts and knowledge. Those with a fixed mindset seek status. Those with a growth mindset seek scholarship. Those with a fixed mindset want to appear smart. Those with a growth mindset simply want to learn. Those with a fixed mindset view tests and examinations as a way of defining who they are. Those with the growth mindset see a single test for what it is. A single data point which in no way can conclusively predict future performance. Those with a fixed mindset feel that if something is difficult, well then that must automatically mean that that's not their gift or ability, so why bother? Those with a growth mindset feel that if something is difficult, well, hey, let's give it a go. I mean, let's climb this mountain. Let's understand why it's difficult. Let's improve. Those with a fixed mindset see failure as something shameful and dishonorable. Those with a growth mindset see failure as an opportunity. Do you catch the difference between the fixed mindset and the growth mindset? Dr. Carroll tells about a student who had applied to an elite graduate school, uh, but was rejected. The student later contacted the school and requested to speak with one of the decision makers in the admissions department. The student said, look, I'm not protesting or contesting your decision. I just want to know what you think I need to do to improve on this application process. Can you help me? And the decision maker gave some very helpful, very candid feedback. And not long afterwards, I mean not long, the very same graduate school happened to have had one extra spot available in that graduate program. Guess who they selected? The power of yet. The power of yet. And whether you have a fixed mindset or a growth mindset affects not only your learning, but your leading, your teaching. Um, Professor Carroll cites Betty Edwards in her book, Drawing on the Right Side of the Brain. It's about people who took Betty's five-day short course in drawing self-portraits. Um, her students, none of them artists by any means at all, drew self-portraits on day one, and then another self-portrait five days later at the conclusion of this class. And you can see some of these portraits, day one and then day five. Betty Edwards says that most people have a fixed mindset about drawing. They think that art is this magical ability only for the chosen few. But it's because they don't know the learnable components of drawing. And Betty Edwards says, I don't teach people how to draw. I teach people how to see. How to see. How to see edges and spaces and relationships and lights and 
shadows and the whole. And, and some happen to be able to pick up these skills in the natural course of their lives, but others have to work to learn and put them together. But then here's this very insightful quote. Just because some people can do something with little or no training doesn't mean that others can't do it and sometimes do it even better with training. Fixed mindset, growth mindset. Now, which are you? Well, as I was reading um, about Carol Dweck's original landmark groundbreaking Ph.D. research. I couldn't help but think of what the Apostle Paul wrote 2,000 years ago in Philippians chapter 3. And that's where we are today. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. If you have your Bibles, please turn there. And Paul clearly lays out a growth mindset in these verses that I want us to consider this morning. Beginning in verse 12, the Apostle Paul, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. This is God's word. Can you hear Paul's growth mindset in these verses? The apostle Paul is keenly aware of the power of yet. In fact, I like how the New International Version gives us verse 13. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet, there it is, to have taken hold of it. Paul insists that he's not yet perfect. He's not yet where he wants to be in Christ. He's not yet attained his resurrected body on a resurrected earth with the resurrected Christ. Paul says, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. This is not Paul being modest or humble or self-effacing. This, Paul says, is a part of who I am. This is a part of my identity. As we have been considering the different dimensions of identity throughout our series, we would say, Clearly, you know, I am created in the image of God. He is the creator. I am the creation. He is most qualified to tell me who I am. He is most accredited to give me my identity. And in Christ, I am redeemed. In Christ, I am justified. In, 
in Christ. I am maturing. I'm clothed with Christ. I'm an adopted child of God. I not only belong to the kingdom of Christ, but I am an heir. And I am a servant of Christ. And, and I am not yet perfect. That's a part of our identity. It's who we are. And what's true for Paul is true for us. We're not yet there. See, we live in this era of Bible history between the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 and the day of Christ's appearing. It's an era that's been described as already, but not yet. Christ is already risen. Christ is already ascended. The Holy Spirit has already been sent. Our sins have already been forgiven. We have already been adopted as children of God. We've already been delivered from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And we are being equipped for every good work in Christ Jesus. Already and we're not yet in our final heavenly home. We're not yet sinless. We're not yet fully perfect in Christ. We've not yet arrived. We live in the already and not yet. And, and the Apostle Paul seemed to be at peace with this tension. I mean, even after decades of Christianity, Paul would say things like, I am the least of the apostles. Unworthy to be called an apostle, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. 1 Corinthians 15, 9 and 10. We would hear the Apostle Paul say things like this in 1 Timothy chapter 1. I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, but I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. That's after 30 years of being a Christian. This is how Paul viewed himself. Not only the least of the apostles, but the very least of all God's people. In fact, the, the worst of sinners. But he did this in order to magnify the contrast between who he is in himself and who he is in Christ. And if you and I are going to make progress in realizing who we are in Christ, we need to be open and honest about who we are in ourselves. And this is that. We are not yet perfect. We still struggle with sin daily in thought and word and deed. And some days we struggle miserably. Our tendency, though, is to look within to justify ourselves, especially when others call us on it. Our inner lawyer rises to argue our defense. And pride pushes us to be performance-based. We want to try to pay our own way. Or we want to compare ourselves to someone else. Let me show you what I mean by just uh, offering this test here. Let's say tomorrow, you know, you, you, 
get up, you're out of bed as soon as the alarm goes off, and you're feeling good, so you just decide, well, I'm going to pray and read my Bible. And then you find that the events of the day just kind of just fall out the right way, and you know, we don't have to struggle with any particular sin issues. And then the next day, the exact opposite occurs, right? We oversleep. We don't feel like reading our Bible or praying. We muddle through a very difficult day and struggle all day with, with, with sinful thoughts and resentment, envy, frustration, lust. Question, on which of those days do you feel that God loves you more? See, your answer to that question reveals whether you are living by your effort or by the grace of the gospel. And friends, our default setting is typically to live by our own effort. But here's what you need to know, and it's, a, it's the quote of the day. It's from Jerry Bridges' book, Who Am I? A book on Christian identity. Your worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. And your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. Every day of our lives is a day of total dependence on the grace and mercy of God. We relate to God on the basis of His grace because every day of our lives... We are not yet perfect. Paul is emphatic about this. Three times Paul says this in verses 12 and 13. I have not already obtained this. I am not already perfect. I do not consider that I have made it my own. I'm not kidding, Paul says. And this mindset, this Growth mindset, paradoxically, liberates Paul and releases him to press on, as he says in verse 13. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on. And Paul is giving us a wonderful Olympic Picture, Philippi was in Greece, and the Greeks knew how to do Olympics, all right. And that picture is of a runner, a sprinter, who strains and exerts and stretches and exhausts himself to finishing the race. And for sprinters, never, ever, ever look back. Ever keep your eyes on the finish line. If we're going to possess a growth mindset, we must remember to forget. See, that's what Paul's telling us here in this chapter. And that's why he says what he says earlier in verses 4 through 8. You see, after starting this church in Philippi, false teachers begin to infiltrate the spiritual community Claiming that a relationship with God was not by grace through faith in Christ. Rather, it was through law-keeping, rule-keeping, religious ritual-keeping. 
Well, once you go that route, well, then you end up with a series of tiered religious performance metrics. Rule-keeping then leads to ranking, which becomes fixed, and you're never quite sure you've done enough to please God. And, and once you go that route, you either turn proud because you think you've done enough, or you become crushed with guilt if you think you haven't. And both reflect a fixed mindset. And to this, Paul cries in verse 8, rubbish, scubalon, is what he says. Scubalon. He says, if you false teachers want to brag about your religious resume, bring it. <laughs> Take a look at mine. And Paul gives us his in verses 4 through 8. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, according to the law, of the people of Israel, the chosen of all the nations. Even of Israel, I'm the tribe of Benjamin. What's significant about that? Well, Benjamin was the son of Rachel, Jacob's favored wife. And out of Benjamin came Israel's first king, King Saul, who stood head and shoulders above everyone else. Jerusalem was located in the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin was loyal to the house of David. Paul says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. Both of my parents were Hebrew. And I became a Pharisee. That word means the separate one. And as for zeal as a Pharisee, I persecuted the church. Paul was a Christian killer. And as to law-keeping, flawless. But to all this, verse 8, Paul says, rubbish, scubalon. The New Testament comes to us by way of the Greek. And that word, scubalon, means excrement, dung. That's why Paul is able to forget what is behind. I'm happy to rid myself of these so-called achievements. You see what's going on here? Paul remembers to forget. He forgets his achievements. He forgets being a Pharisee. He forgets advancing in his career beyond many his age. He forgets being a Hebrew of Hebrews. He forgets belonging to the tribe of Benjamin. He forgets torturing Christians. He forgets being there when Stephen was martyred in the book of Acts. He forgets being a blasphemer, persecutor, and a violent man. To forget means that Paul is not going to let his past rent space in his brain. And that's a good word for many of us. Have we forgotten to forget? When are you going to forget? When are you going to forget the past you can't change? When are you going to forget the mistake you can't undo? When are you going to forget the sin that was committed against you? When are you going to forget the grudge? When are you going to stop being gripped by the past and let Jesus grip you? You see, that's what makes these verses more than just motivational self-help. Paul says that he presses on in verse 12 to make it my own. And why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. 
That's the only reason why he can press on. See, we love because he first loved us. We receive mercy because his mercy reached out to us. The gospel is about our initiating, apprehending, arresting, gripping, grasping, grabbing God. Verse 12, literally, Paul says, I have apprehended Christ because Christ first apprehended me. And Paul's not talking about something mystical or spiritual. He's talking about the day he was going to Damascus to torture Christians. And on that day, Jesus arrested him. Jesus body slammed him. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Who am I? Who are you? Get up. Go into the city. I'll tell you what to do next. That was his conversion. It wasn't peaceful. It was violent. He had been arrested by the Son of God. And he never turned back. He grew. And now, Saul of Tarsus, a name associated with Israel's first, you know, head and shoulders above everyone else king, Israel's first monarch, the tall King Saul. Now, Saul became Paul. Paul. Paulus in Greek and Latin. Do you know what Paulus means? Tiny. Little. What's your name? Just call me the Apostle Tiny. Yeah. And he was okay with that. See, see, he was okay with Jesus being bigger and taller and stronger. Paul didn't mind being small because being small meant that there was room for growth. And that's why verse 15 says, let those of us who are mature think this way. This is so interesting. You see, in verse 12, he says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. Circle the word perfect in verse 12. And then he says, those of us who are mature, circle the word mature, perfect and mature, in the original Greek, same word. Same word. In other words, admitting I'm not yet mature is the very growth mindset of the mature. I press on. I've got to grow. And, and see, press on toward what? What is it that he, he has not obtained? Well, we haven't read those verses yet. But we're going to right now, verses 20 and 21. This is our inheritance. This is our hope. This is the goal. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We await. We're waiting. Americans don't like to wait. Do we? 
No, we don't. The answer is no, we don't. We don't like to wait. Someone once said that waiting is God's reorientation program at our definition of success. We await. We await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body. A body that's broken. A body, body that's ill. A body that's diseased. A body that struggles with sin. He will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body. His resurrection body. His body that will take us into life eternal beyond all we can ask or imagine by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. This church family is our prize. And this is why we passionately pursue Christ. And I think about those in our church family now whose bodies are broken. And I just pray, Lord, would you just give me a little bit of their faith? Because I'm not yet there. I'm not yet there. Christianity, by its very nature, possesses a growth mindset. And when you have the mind of Christ, you have a mindset that proclaims the power of not yet and how liberating this is. And so we can just take this in different arenas of our life, starting here with this congregation. So, you know... <laughs> You don't have to pretend to be perfect around here. You don't. You don't have to pretend to be someone you're not. If you're new here and you're wondering what kind of a church this is, let me tell you, this is the church of not yet. Not yet. We've not yet arrived. Your pastor has not yet arrived. We are grateful believers in Christ who still struggle. That's who we are. We can take this mindset not only around here, but outside of our church community as we look at what's going on in our world. Because we know that we're not yet there and we're not yet perfect. And this world is not yet perfect. This fact should keep us from being shocked or surprised at the evil that we see on our planet. We can take this mindset to work at 8 o'clock tomorrow. It's 
the fourth quarter of the business year and performance reviews are happening. So, so how can I take this growth mindset as an employee to my place of work? So, so if you're an employee, are there ways that you could be less defensive about your review? Could you profit more from the feedback you get? Are there ways that you can create more learning experiences for yourself? How do you act toward others in your workplace? Does it reflect a fixed mindset or a growth mindset? Let's say you're the boss. Are you a fixed mindset boss focused more on your power than your employee's well-being? Do you ever reaffirm your status by demeaning others? Do you ever try to hold back high-performing employees because they threaten you? Or you don't want to lose them, so... Fixed mindset or growth mindset? Let's not wait till 8 a.m. Let's just, we're going to be picking our children up here. So, as far as parenting concerns, do you praise your child's talent in and of itself? Or do you praise the process that showed good stewardship of the talent? You see the difference? See, see a fixed mindset will say, you got an A, I'm proud of you. A growth mindset will say, you know, you studied hard, you managed your time, you reviewed your homework assignments, you dedicated yourself to learning the material. I'm proud of that effort. You see the difference? Listen to the messages that you are sending to your children. Are they messages that say, you have permanent traits and I'm judging them? Or are they messages that say, you are a developing person and that fascinates me? Let's talk about our mindset in relationship to our marriages. Do you have a fixed mindset or a growth mindset about your marriage? If you're married, do you feel that your marriage, well, this is as good as it's going to get. She's never going to change. He's never going to change. And until they change, until they change, it's as good as it's going to get. See, that's a fixed mindset. A fixed mindset feels that the brokenness that surrounds me is more dangerous than the brokenness that resides in me. But a growth mindset says, search me, O God, and test my heart. Sift me, Lord. And a growth mindset will lead you to ask this vulnerable question to your spouse. And here's the question. And before you ask the question, please make sure you have your cell phone turned off. Please make sure that the TV's off. Please make sure that the kids are put to bed. And please make sure that you have at least an hour of time after the question. Here's the question. What's it like to be married to me? What's it like to be married to me? And then whatever your spouse says, don't get defensive. Okay? That's a growth mindset question. For those of you who are single and you do not desire marriage, a fixed mindset would just would lead to this, well, this is as good as it's going to get attitude. A growth mindset would lead you to say, oh Lord, in this season of life, sift me, search me, 
What challenges do you have for me? God, put before me what it is you want for me and give me the strength to pursue that. It's a wonderful prayer. For those of you who are single and you desire marriage or, or you're open to the possibilities of marriage, a fixed mindset would lead you to prepare a checklist of preferred qualities and then evaluate potential spouses based on that list. And while that's fine and good, a growth mindset would take you a step further. A growth mindset would lead you to ask, well, what am I doing to ensure that I'm ready when you know, Mr. or Mrs. Wright shows up? Because if we're not ready, then they're not going to think of us as the one they're looking for, and they're going to keep walking. In other words, a growth mindset asks this question. Am I the person that the person I'm looking for is looking for? Fixed mindset, growth mindset. The world of difference. Growth mindset sees hope. A growth mindset sees that no one is beyond God's reach of grace. A growth mindset sees the possibilities of God's work in and through others. A growth mindset urges us to press on toward those ministry initiatives that meet needs with love. I'm thinking about the 90 of you who attended our missions information meeting last week. I'm thinking about the uh, over 750 boxes that were packed for this year's Operation Christmas Child. I'm thinking about Salt and Lights, Two Trees, a ministry initiative here that's coming up soon. See, we, we participate in these because they not only help us meet needs with love, but in doing so, they help us see the face of love because whenever you help the under-resourced, you are looking into the face of Christ. And that's growth. What, what if our church family carried with us the conviction of a growth mindset? That people can change. That grace changes everything. We don't have to stay the same. We can develop. We can mature. We can, we can, we can grow. There's room to grow. We can love because Christ first loved us. We can grab every spiritual blessing because Christ first grabbed us. We can press on because Christ possesses us. What if we became a church known for the power of yet? What if?